Well, uh, we're going to be finishing our series in the Gospel of Luke today. Can you believe it? All the way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I did a little calculation and figured how long it would take us at this rate to finish the whole Bible. And you'll be happy to know that we only have 50, 50 more years and we'll be done with the entire Bible. And so it's obviously going to have to be my successor who finishes that project. So I'm going to preach all the good books and I'm going to leave that person with Leviticus and Numbers and Revelation, you know, uh, just to hand those off. Um, God has done a lot, though, in this season that we've been in as we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke. Um, The congregation has more than doubled in size since we've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke. Um, God has been working to bring about transformations in people's lives. Our our home groups, which is the other piece that we find so valuable, so incredible, uh, they've doubled and, and they're becoming much more vibrant and we see life change and real close friendships developing in those over this season. Many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ during this season as we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, and that's been a beautiful thing. We've had many, many people baptized, celebrated new life in Jesus Christ. Um, we've become more mission-driven through the study of this book. We, we, I see signs of it all around where people are looking at their lives as, uh, as, as not just sort of doing time uh, until we're gone, but actually actually looking around and asking God, what is it that you have for me in my workplace or in my neighborhood or wherever I find myself? What have you called me to do and to be in this place? I see signs of people increasingly living on mission. And that's a beautiful thing. And and, and the Gospel of Luke has had a large part of that change. We've been multiplying. We've we've tried to embed this sense of multiplication, um, uh, which is throughout the Gospel of Luke, but in our community... Uh, raising up new leaders. Um, we, we, we had a, a resident church plant resident come on, Brent, uh, who's become uh, our, our associate pastor, and now we're sending him out to do a ministry in San Francisco. We started a second service at 11 o'clock, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, so that we could reach more people because we were running out of room here in one service. And so uh, if you just go down the line, you see that over this season, uh, God has been doing amazing things in this congregation. And we want to give him the glory, and we want to give him the praise. And those are sort of statistics that we say, but a lot of it is intangible, and it has to do with life change. And and you and I know this, that when God transforms, you can sort of count what he transforms, but the greatest things that he transforms, you can't can't really count. And I wanted to highlight and and brag on a couple that's been with us, and was so surprised to see them this morning. But God has been doing an incredible transformative work in their lives over the last while. And you'll understand why I was surprised to see them this morning. But uh, not too long ago, they were without a place to live. And uh, through the ministry that we've had on the bulb and uh, the work of the Berkeley Food and Housing Project, um, this couple has found a a home. And uh, they have been growing in faith, have been every, I think, I can't, every single Sunday, I think they've been here worshiping and coming up and saying hello and asking questions and and when we, we talked about the road to Emmaus, the importance of Scripture, um, Vinny came up and said, you know, I, I really want to spend more time in my Bible. Um, can, you, can you get me a Bible that I'll, I'll be, able to, to be able to read and, and, and it will be helpful? And then this last Thursday, um, they had a baby. And uh, so they're here. Sunday, <laughs> they're here worshiping. So uh, Vinny and Alyssa are right there. And, you know, like I say, you can, you can put numbers on things, but how do you put numbers on that kind of transformation? Um, finding a home, coming to faith in Christ, having this child. And so we're just so blessed to be a part of that journey. And we give all the glory to God for what he's, he's been doing. And so 
um, we want to continue to support you too as well. In fact, I believe we're putting together meals for them. So if you'd like to um, help out with that, just send an email to info at Solano Community Church and we'll get you signed up to help bring meals to them as they continue to get. But they apparently seem to be doing well. They're in church like four days later, right? So uh, we want to support them in that. Anyway, God's been doing great things. I could tell all kinds of stories like that of the transformations that God has been working in people's lives. And that's why this series was called Total Transformation. As I get to the end of the Gospel of Luke, I'm convinced all the more that this is the appropriate title for this Gospel, Total Transformation, because that's what God intends. God has a plan to completely transform the world that He created, but then, after the fall, was diminished and is in bondage to decay. God has a plan to turn that over and to continue the process of transformation until He brings everything back to the way it was intended to be. We can all taste it. We all know that there is some perfect way in which the world should be, but it's not reaching that. It's not attaining that level yet. And so deep embedded in our hearts is this longing. And God intends to answer that longing. And the Gospel of Luke tells us all about what that longing is like and what the transformation will ultimately be. So as we finish up, would you open up to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24. If you do need a Bible to follow along with, then please raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Don't be shy. We pass out a lot of Bibles. We give away tons of Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, take this one home with you. We'd love for you to have one available so that you can study it on your own. If you need one, just raise your hand. We'll hand one to you. It's on page 757 in that particular book. 757. Luke 24 starting in verse 50. Now, a little bit of background here. There have been, since the resurrection, multiple appearances of Jesus to the disciples. Multiple appearances on that Sunday. He met with the, the, the uh, disciples walking to Emmaus, and then he, he appeared to Peter, and then he showed up in the group of disciples uh, as they were gathered together to tell stories about this amazing resurrection that they were witnessing. And then he continued to do so over, uh, the book of Acts tells us, uh, Luke tells us in the book of Acts, 40 days he continued to be in, uh, in their midst and to reveal himself to him. Uh, and then we come to this uh, last scene in the Gospel of Luke, verse 50. Then he led them out, that's Jesus, as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Jesus in his physical body, and I I know that this seems so miraculous, and the resurrection is miraculous, and and we've gone through recently uh, how it is that we conclude that that this actually did happen, and and, and both from the standpoint of logic and, and faith, everything points to this. But Jesus was taken up in his physical body, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Continually in the temple blessing God. Now, the word bless in this very short passage occurs three times. And in our Gospel Academy class on the Scripture, we talk about how do you read your Bible well. And, and one of the things that we encourage you to do is when you see a word repeated, to focus on that word. If the word is repeated, then, then God probably wants you to sit with it a little bit. So we're going to sit with the word bless, which happens, occurs three times in this, just these, this short little passage. 
Uh, we see that word bless three times, and it's, it's good reading technique. First thing I want to say about blessing is that you have been blessed by Jesus. You've been blessed by Jesus. That's what Luke intends to, to communicate to us, that you have been blessed by Jesus Christ. Now, the word blessing literally means to speak good of, to speak good of. There are many, many ways that we can bless people. It doesn't have to be a particular phrase. Those of you who maybe grew up in traditional worship settings, you got the impression that to bless somebody was to repeat a very specific phrase to them, but that's not the case. To bless somebody is is literally just to speak a good word over them or to them. And so there are many ways that we can bless. And sometimes it's not even a word. It's it's just a touch on a, a hand on a shoulder or an encouragement, encouraging look. To bless means literally to, to speak good. Now, blessings can be more or less meaningful, right? Um, it's always funny when, if you watch the Oscars and some actor or actress gets up there and they thank everybody and then they look out into the camera and they say, and to my fans, I love you so much, right? And you're kind of wondering, how could you really love the fans? You don't know their name. You don't know anything about them. You, you, don't, you don't know, you never spent time with them. Uh, to my fans, I, it's, it's kind of an empty blessing. I was trying to think of one of the times in my life when I felt a blessing that was actually meaningful and, and rooted in something real and sincere. It was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, working at a church. I'd, sitting in the office is the moment I remember of the senior pastor there. I was working at a church. I'd been there for four years. Um, went just to just to go for one year as an apprentice and to learn from this pastor. We were a large staff of 11, 11 pastors, and I was having this opportunity to, to learn in their midst and to, to kind of grow and develop in the midst of this. And at the end of that time, the, uh, the sense that we got from, from God was that we were to leave that place and, and, and move to, to Berkeley um, to start a church. And we almost made it. We're about 500 yards from Berkeley. But... Um, we got pretty close. And so anyway, we had this sense that we should leave. And so I tendered my resignation. And, 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 and the next day, the senior pastor calls me into his office. And he says, Andrew, are you sure that you want to do this? He says, I was planning on retiring soon. And I wanted you to take over this ministry as I retired. And it messed with my head. But the, but the thing that came out of that was this incredible sense of blessing. That the sense of you know me and you know how broken I am. You know how how incapable I am in many ways, and yet you're kind of putting your hand on me and saying, I, I, I love you and I know you, and despite all of that, uh, I trust you, I believe in you. That was the message I got. Now, we felt very strongly that, that God was leading us to come to Berkeley, and I'm glad that we followed through on that. But it was a moment in my life where somebody that I respected and somebody that actually knew me pretty well put his hand upon me and gave me a blessing. And, and that's when blessings are most meaningful, right? Is when the person knows you and obviously loves you and the person is somebody that you respect greatly and they speak good over your life. And if that's the case, on that scale, this blessing that, that Jesus gives to the disciples is sort of off the charts good and rich and meaningful and de- deep. And sincere because Jesus knows these disciples. He knows them intimately. He's been spending life with them. He's been walking with them and living day in and day out with them. And he knows everything about who they are. He knows their weaknesses and their flaws and their inabilities. Jesus knows them. 
And he loves them. He's demonstrated that on the cross. When Jesus went to that cross, he made the greatest statement that anybody could ever make about somebody else's value in saying that I'm willing to die on the cross for you because I love you so much. That's what Jesus was saying on that cross. Nobody could ever make a greater statement about your value or your worth than what Jesus said by going to that cross. The, the one who, who spoke of himself as God and but what he was willing to die on that cross in order to be the intercessor, the one to take on all of the consequence of our sin, to take it into himself, to be that atoning sacrifice on the cross so that we could be reconciled to our maker. That's a statement about our value and our worth in his eyes. And it's an act of love unsurpassed by any other action in the history of the world, in my view. So Jesus knows these disciples. He's demonstrated in perhaps the most profound way possible that he loves these disciples. He has commissioned these disciples to go out into the world and to make a difference by bringing the news of this gospel to all of the world. So he believes in them. He's charged them with one of the most incredible calls and tasks that one could imagine. He's, he's, in, he's, he's, he's charged them with the, with the gospel. So he believes in them despite knowing them and knowing their weaknesses. He believes in them. And he is establishing himself as, a, as, as, as one of great authority through the resurrection. So all the hallmarks of a good blessing are there in the blessing of Jesus Christ. Jesus has the world in his hands and he's demonstrated that by rising from the dead, which gives him authority. He's a man of authority. So he, he knows them. He loves them intimately. He believes in them, those disciples. And he's a person with credibility established by the resurrection. And out of that, he blesses them. And he's going to go one further. Now he is about to take uh, his place at the right hand of God. And theologians call this the session of Jesus. He will ascend and he will be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And, And theologians call that Jesus' session. And that's for the disciples too. It's not so that Jesus can just disappear into heaven, but so he can take... Uh, the rightful place, the proper place from which to pour out His Holy Spirit onto the people. And so that He can continually intercede for His people at the right hand of the Father. Some verses explain clearly what Jesus intends to do there at the right hand of the Father during His session. Acts 2.32 Luke explains a little bit more detail what we're reading here at the very end of the gospel. He says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He, that is Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing. It was right at the time of Pentecost and the disciples had been waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Uh, The Pentecost is the 50 days after the resurrection when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the people. Uh, And so it can be a guiding, directing element in their lives. And Jesus rises up and he takes his place 
by the Father so that He can pour out the Holy Spirit upon the church to empower the church for the work that's ahead. And what we need to see very carefully is that it's, it's Jesus who directs the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not just sort of another part of the Trinity disconnected from Jesus, but it's, it's at the direction, the loving direction of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us to guide us and to direct us. So, so Jesus takes His rightful place now to be able to pour out the Holy Spirit. And then Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says also that this is what's going on when Jesus goes up and takes that place. Consequently, says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. That is, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is continually living to intercede on our behalf from His vantage point in heaven. So when Jesus speaks a blessing, it's accompanied by this knowledge of who we are, this demonstrated love, the cross, the authority that comes with the resurrection and the belief in us despite our weakness and inability to commission us and send us out to do His work. And my guess is this morning is that probably every one of us here could use a blessing from Jesus. Lord, would You bless us in the way that we need most to be blessed this morning. A friend of mine took his life uh, this past year, and this is somebody that I had been uh, close to and working with, uh, oftentimes weekly, if not monthly, um, for a number of years. And my heart was deeply invested in the life of this person. And when he passed away, um, I was broken and deeply, deeply discouraged. And I remember um, perhaps a month or so afterwards getting a phone call. And and I looked down at my phone and it was another person whose life in many ways resembled the one who'd passed away. And I had been working with this person, and I was so discouraged and in, in loss and pain and suffering that I, I couldn't answer the phone. Because I couldn't face, you know, another struggle and potential loss. And so I let it go to, to my voicemail, and... I honestly don't remember how long it was. It, it may have been even several days before I, I summoned the strength um, to listen to the voicemail, given the discouragement that I had. And how wrong I was. I should have picked up the phone because when I listened to this voicemail, this man who was speaking out of a troubled life and, and struggles, um, I, I actually went back and listened to it this morning and, and wrote down what he said. Um, Here's me feeling uh, broken and, and, and confused and asking God, you know, why didn't this work out or go the way that I'd, I'd hoped it would go? Did, did I miss something? Did I fail somehow? Um, was I not loving enough? Was I, was I not hearing your voice enough? 
So I'm in that place, and, and, and then I, I, I listen to the message, and it says this. He says, I want to lift you up and praise the Lord for your life. I, I can't even imitate the excitement and enthusiasm in his voice. He says, bless you and your family and everything you are doing. So I just wanted to give you all my love and to bless you. God bless you, Pastor. And I listened to that voicemail, and it was a flood of encouragement and blessing that kind of came rumbling down into my soul. You know how that works. I'd been so discouraged and afraid even to pick up the phone for fear of facing another struggle. And God had a completely different plan to speak blessing into my life. So like Jesus to operate that way. I don't, I don't know if you've experienced that, but you, you get to those points where you're at your lowest and you think, there's, there's nothing that could encourage me right now. And then God finds a way. Just enough to carry you on to the next vision, the next goal, the next mountain, the next struggle that you face. What does it say? A bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Some of you may be in that place right now and you need a blessing. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is blessing you. He's speaking blessing over your life. Because not only does he know those disciples, he knows you. He knows you. He knows the depth of your brokenness. He knows the the depth of your sin. He knows the depth of your loss and your pain. He he knows how you've, you've, you've messed things up from time to time. He knows how you've broken relationships. You've said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing. He knows it all. He knows it. In fact, He knows it better than you know it. Even so, He loves you. Because when he went to that cross, he wasn't merely going to that cross for those disciples who were going to listen. He was going to that cross for you and me as well. And on that cross, he was making a statement, not just about those disciples, but about you. That you are so valuable and so precious in my sight, in my eyes, that I am willing to offer myself, my life for you. That's how much I love you. And it doesn't stop there. He believes in you, according to Scripture. He believes in you because this commission that we've been given is also for you to go out and to make disciples. Jesus speaks that to those who were there present, but He also speaks it to His church. The disciples of the disciples of the disciples. That's you and me. And so despite all that we are and all the brokenness and the incapacities that we exhibit, Jesus says, I believe in you. And then he goes up into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he pours out his Holy Spirit on you to come upon you to empower you for that which he's called you to do. You have been blessed by Jesus. I know there's days when that seems far. But that's the reality. That's the truest thing 
of all. The work of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the identity-shaping power that that has. It's the truest thing of all. And when the decay and darkness and lies and confusion of this world piles up to lead you to believe that something else is actually true, then you need to speak back to it with the truth of the gospel. That you are, in fact, chosen, adopted, beloved child of God. And that's what's most real about you. And from that place, you live. So you have been blessed richly and personally. Jesus didn't stand there like at the Oscars and say, I love you all, not knowing your name, where you live, what you like. Jesus knows you intimately, better than you know yourself, and he says, I love you. He speaks words of blessing over you. And that flows right into the next part, right? Which is that the disciples speak words of blessing back to Jesus. See that at the very end? That they were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, uh, the Gospel of Luke starts in the temple. This is so fascinating. The opening scene of the Gospel of Luke is in the temple. Zechariah goes in there and um, he's told that he's going to have a child and he doesn't believe. And so what happens? His mouth is shut. Zechariah's mouth is shut because of disbelief. And now we go all the way to the very end of the Gospel of Luke and the people go back to the temple and their mouths are opened and they bless the name of God. And what is the temple? The temple is the place where God resides. That's what the deepest, most profound, the essence of the temple is that this is where God is. This is where God is. Now with the coming of Jesus, that moves to Jesus. And then when Jesus goes up, and takes his place in his session next to the Father, then the presence of God is mediated by the Holy Spirit through the church itself. And so we have the presence of God uh, kind of taking that journey. But in this moment, their understanding is that they're in that temple. That's where we go to be with God. And they're in the temple to be with God and to commune with God and to bless God, to speak words of goodness over God, to respond to his goodness towards them by saying words of goodness towards God in His presence. There is an aspect of discipleship that is all about doing, right? Going out and doing stuff. That's what we read about last week in verse 46. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. You go out and proclaim in His name to all nations all over the world. We're supposed to go out beginning from Jerusalem. And it says, you are witnesses of these things. That's what we said is our calling in life to be a witness to that gospel message that Jesus went to that cross and everything that I've been saying about that. And we're supposed to go out and say that. We're supposed to do this for Jesus, right? But that's only the second to the last section in the Gospel of Luke. The last section, the most important one says, but more important than than what you do is who you are. And who you are is defined by your presence in the midst of God, in the temple. Being always precedes doing. We actually see this all throughout Scripture. When Paul writes his epistles, he always talks about who you are first and then what you do. If you try to do stuff without understanding who you are in Jesus Christ, it won't work. You need to know profoundly, first and foremost, that you're a chosen, adopted, 
beloved child of God. And it's out of that new identity that your life and your actions and your activity and your goals and your vision change, changes. But we can never, ever let go of, of the being part. And there's so much temptation, especially living where we live, where it's, you know, it's all about getting things done and it's always about you know, uh, being efficient and, 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 and doing stuff. It's so easy to lose sight of the being aspect. But Luke puts it very last so that we will be left with this taste in our mouths as we finish the Gospel of Luke that what's most important is who we are in Christ. Much more important than what we do for Christ. Our greatest need is to bless God in the temple, in a sense. That is our greatest need, to bless God in the temple to be in his presence. To have him speak words of blessing over us so that our very identity is transformed to what he intended. So how do you do that? What does it look like to, to, to bless God in the temple? I mean, you can't really go to the temple right now, right? not really there in the same way. Um, in fact, it was destroyed in the year 70 AD. And, um, so how do you do that? How do you, how, do you, how do you carry this out? What does it look like? Well, first of all, uh, in this text, you note that Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. He probably went down through the Mount of Olives, where, or the, the valley, and, and, and he went up the Mount of Olives and then over to, to Bethany. And so many incredible things that happened in the, those places, all these events that led up to the crucifixion happening in that place. And, and so Jesus led them out, and the disciples went with him. And if we're going we're gonna to bless God, if we're going to be continually in his presence, if we're going we're gonna to focus on being rather than, than doing, then we need to, first of all, allow ourselves to be led by Jesus, just like the disciples. Disciples follow Jesus out to Bethany. And I want to encourage us, I've been hearing this in all kinds of camps recently, do you read your Gospels? I, I, I know we read the Bible, but do you read the Gospels where the life of Jesus is on display? Do you know the Gospels? Do you know with intimate detail the movements of Jesus Christ through the world so that, so that you can be led by Jesus? Understand how he moves in the world and how he functions, how he addresses people and how he meets with people, how he spends his time. Do you know your Gospels? You need to know the Gospels like you know your address, right? So, so the first thing is to be led by him and you're led by him when you know him and you sit with him. But then the next thing that happens is, is that they allow Jesus to define himself to them. They allow Jesus to define himself to them. The, the disciples really went through a revolutionary understanding here because, you see, pagans could worship anything. Pagans could worship rocks, trees, idols, you know, anything was fair game for pagan worship. But for the Jew, these disciples were Jews, for the Jew, only God the Father could be worshipped. In fact, if you were caught worshipping anything else, it was on penalty of death. And these disciples worship Jesus. There's only one clear implication then. That they have come to understand that Jesus Christ is in fact 
Lord and God. It's a revolutionary understanding. It's a, it's a total 180 for them to come to this conclusion that a man in the flesh would be worthy of their worship. And they've been struggling with it in the Gospel of Luke all along. But at this last moment, at the very end, they finally get it. And they worship Jesus. And if Jesus is not really God, then as a good Jew, he would have to tell them, don't worship me. But he doesn't. He lets them worship. And so in a sense, what's happened is they've allowed Jesus to define who he is to them. We want so badly to define God in our own way, don't we? I mean, the, the impulse, I fight it constantly. The impulse is so strong in us to try and define God in a way that benefits our current station in life, that fits with who we are so we don't have to change too much. We don't have to consider difficult questions. We long to define God in our own way. But Jesus comes along and he says, he points out that, you know, really, if I'm God, then probably I should be the one defining myself, right? Disciples have had a hard time with that all along. But here, finally, at the end, they get it and they bow down in in worship to Jesus. And, And there's a process like that that's going on in our lives all the time, allowing God to define himself, trying not to define him in the way that works out best for us merely because it does, but letting him speak into our lives, even difficulty, difficultly, so that, we, so that we are allowing him to define himself. And I want to invite you this morning, if you're one of those people, and, and I'm right there with you, so I'm not, this is not judgmental, but if you're one of those people who has always sort of kept God at bay uh, and defined him in a way that he wouldn't have to kind of rock your world or change your life, I want to invite you to take a posture of submission today. If, in fact, there is a God and He is the ruler of the universe, He is smarter than you. And so it makes a lot of sense for you to let Him define Himself to you. And the hard thing about that is it requires a measure of submission. And some of us who who are successful and and really smart, we're in Berkeley, and the number of smart people is just overwhelming, right? Um, And so, you know, kind of the further we are on that path sometimes, the harder it is for us to be willing to submit to God and to let Him define Himself for us. But when you step back from it, that's what makes the most sense. If he really is who he says he is, then he ought to be able to define himself. And it stands to reason that maybe he's going to look a little differently than we expect or sometimes than we even want. So I want to invite you to take a posture of submission before God this morning. And if you're somebody who's seeking the Lord or you just have questions, then even just to say, God, reveal yourself to me. I don't even know if you're out there but would you just show, if you're there, would you show yourself to me? And, and then to take that posture of humility and submission and, and be open-minded to God uh, revealing himself, perhaps in ways that are uncomfortable, but true. And then lastly, uh, if we're going to focus on blessing God and, 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 and on being, and then doing out of our being, then 
we ought to take our cues from these disciples. The very last phrase is that they were in the temple continually blessing God. In other words, they were pursuing the presence of God in their, in their lives. I have a, a pastor friend who a while back was telling me about his marriage that was going through a difficulty. Uh, this happened a while back. Um, and, and I don't even know all the details, and, and they don't really matter for the illustration. But out of that crucible of brokenness and difficulty, he and his wife started a new discipline. And this sort of blows me away. Every morning they get up and they send the kids off to school, and then he sits down and he has breakfast with his wife, and he says, it's at least an hour, but oftentimes it'll go to be an hour and a half or two hours. And now, I, I mean, a lot of us have busy lives and we couldn't do it. I'm not suggesting what we do that. What I'm saying is that out of the crucible of pain and brokenness, a new discipline was birthed that became life-giving. And I saw him this week. I was in Atlanta meeting with a group of pastors. And I, I, said, I said to him, Tony, how's your marriage going? And uh, he said, I said, you still doing that morning thing? And he said, yep. And, you know, he was away from his wife. He said, we texted each other coffee cups this morning. Um, because they, they were away from each other. But that's how rooted this, this sort of discipline has become in their lives to be together. Um, I can't go on on that one. I will just say this, that life gets really messy, and out of the pain of your life, you may decide on a new discipline, which is to spend more time with God. Because you know that being precedes doing. Who you are is critical to what you do. And we want to do a lot in this congregation and outside of this congregation. We're all trying to do so much. But I want to tell you, if if we try to do it without first being rooted in Christ, it's going to be worth nothing. We're done. We're, We're trying to plant another church or start a ministry in San Francisco We've gone to two services here. We're trying to reach out into the community and, and take care of homeless people and serve the community. Um, we go out with our count me in, and, and the list goes on and on. We're trying to do a lot. But if we're not rooted in Christ and we are not continually in the temple blessing God and receiving His blessing upon us, then it will be impossible to do any of it. Because being precedes doing. So at the very end of this series, Total Transformation... And we're not going to have total transformation in this world until Jesus returns. That's the last part of the plan that, that Luke outlines is that Jesus will come back again and then he will come in force and he'll make everything the way it's supposed to be. Um, and it's crazy, but that's the, that's the plan that God has outlined and, 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 and people keep coming to understand that plan. We're not going to see total transformation, but do you want to walk? This is, this is what's deep in my heart. Okay, God. I understand that I'm not going to see total transformation before you come back. But can I just see as much as possible in this life? Do you want, do you want that? I mean, something deep in my heart longs to see as much transformation. I love the story of Vinny and, and Alyssa. I love the stories of, of so many of you that, we, that we've been seeing God transform lives. Don't you want to see more of that? I want to see more of it. I want to see more of my life. I'm so broken in so many ways, and I'm praying, God... Lord, would you transform me and would you transform us and continue to show us your goodness and and the depth of your love? Would you continue to, to, to transform stuff in our midst? 
If that's appealing to you, then I simply want to say, don't necessarily just try to do more. First, take the time to be with God. To be in the temple continually blessing God. And that happens when you get up in the morning and you open your Bible and you pray. It happens when you gather with your home group. It happens when you come here. It happens when you're on your drive and you decide to listen to something, to, 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 to the Bible being read or to a sermon or something so that you can continually be in the temple blessing God and absorbing your new identity. And out of that new identity, you're going to find the desire and the ability to do things that you didn't expect you would do in life. And that's where the transformation comes in. So Lord, would you meet us? Meet us in this place. Help us to be transformers of the world around us, but not at the cost of our own existence and our own identity, but through our new identity in the person of Jesus Christ. This table which we share together is a reminder of our new identity. And so uh, I want to uh, call you forward to this table if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've not put your faith and trust in Him, then it, it really has no meaning. Um, if you've got some sin going on in your life and there's brokenness in relationships, then I, I encourage you to confess that before coming to this table. But at the end of the day, you come forward to be reminded of your new identity in Christ, your chosen, adopted, beloved child of God. And Jesus, when he had those disciples with him and he wanted them to know of his great love, he said, uh, he, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and, and, and after he had given thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body, which is for you. I'm giving up my body for you, he said. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my body. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I invite you to this table. If you're feeling broken and, 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 and wrecked by life, then all the more reason for you to come forward and, and have the blessing of Christ, in a sense, spoken to you through this table. If you need prayer today, if there's if something that you would like to bring to the Lord when we're gathered together and the Holy Spirit is in our midst, you want to come to pray and ask God to do some transformative work in your life, come to the back area and we would love to pray for you. Please take advantage of that. Love to see lots of people being prayed for. If you want to worship as Miguel starts to lead us in that, please do. If you want to give your offering in the back, you can during this time. Come forward. This is a time of ministry and prayer. Lord Jesus, would you meet us again and reconfirm your great love for us. We're in your temple and we are blessing your name because you are so worthy to be blessed. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Come forward.